I'm truly glad to see you folks. It warms my heart to see y'all. And we need some warm hearts today because everything else is cold. Come on, March. Is March the month that comes in like a lion and comes out like a lamb? It's, it's, it's like the 20th now, so it needs to start, start lambing. It's been lying in, I don't know about March. I think, uh, anyway, in like a lion and out like a lamb. That's a saying. Yeah, that doesn't come from the Bible, but I don't think. There's a lot of the common sayings that do come from the Bible. Um, the phrase, bite the dust. Did you know that comes from the Bible? You thought Freddie Mercury came up with that, didn't you? No, that was bite the dust. Bite the dust. There wouldn't even be another one to bite the dust, if not for the Word of God. That's out of Psalm 72. What about the blind leading the blind? That one you've heard, right? The blind lead the blind, and they both fall in the pit. That's out of the book of Matthew. To cast the first stone. Cast the first stone, you better have a good arm, (laughs) because they may come running after you. No. Uh, Drop in the bucket. That's out of the book of Isaiah. Just a drop in the bucket, and God said, um, you know, compared to his power, all the powers of the nations are just a drop in a bucket. You know, there's nothing there. To turn the other cheek, that's right out of the Bible. That's one people know. Go the extra mile. Jesus said, go the extra mile. That's right out of the Bible. Rise and shine. That's one I didn't know. Rise and shine. Um, Generally associated with getting up in the morning, some of you are morning people. Where are you at, morning people? Look at them, smiling. What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would say I'm an afternoon person, but no, I'm pretty sleepy then. And then, then at night, uh, I seem to sit down. My wife says it has something to do with my age, but I sit down and uh, my chair puts a magical spell over me. I think we may need to go pray over that chair. Something weird is going on there that I'm not sure what's going on. Scapegoat. That's out of the Bible. That's out of Leviticus. We studied that last year. Go back and dig through those messages and find those. That was really interesting, the scapegoat. And a wolf in sheep's clothing. You ever known anybody like that? A wolf in sheep's clothing. They appear to be one thing. They are something else. That's right out of the Bible, too. Then there's the the phrase that comes from our story today that is used quite a lot, but even fewer people know it comes out of the Bible. But you probably knew. It is, the writing is on the wall, or sometimes it's said, the handwriting is on the wall. That's right out of Daniel chapter 5. What's that mean? The, the writing is on the wall. It means there is some, there's a sign that some inevitable result is coming. It usually is something negative, you know, like there is the, the, the end of something, or some doom, or some demise. When the quarterback on your favorite team throws an interception right at the end of the game and your team is behind by a couple points, the writing is on the wall for that football game, most likely. Um, when when uh, mass production of automobiles made it cheaper for normal people to buy cars, the writing was on the wall for horse and buggies. You still see some around, but not much. Anybody drive a horse and buggy here? No. Okay, yeah, there, there's probably some, yeah. If you, if you look in the right place, you'll find some. I think we've, we had some, maybe some Amish people move into out in the Laurel Fork area. That's, that's pretty interesting. So if you live out there, be careful. <laughs> don't, don't run over any horses or buggies. Be really careful. Uh, if, uh, when, when I was studying in my personal career aspiration, I wanted to be an engineer, and I got well into engineering level calculus and 
the report said I was getting back suggested that the writing was on the wall for the intended career. Um, I could do math, but I didn't like doing math. And it turns out, if you're going to be an engineer, you should probably like doing math. It's not enough to just be able to kind of muddle your way through it. Uh, once in a while, it can be something positive, right? You know, it's it's been a little while since we've been together, and um, I think of those lopsided victories won by the Carroll County High School girls Lady Cavs basketball team. They were winning some lopsided victories early in the tournament, and the writing seemed to be on the wall for a state championship, and they did. Yay! At least one of those girls at one point was involved with our church. It's been several years ago, you know, someone involved. So anyway, it's pretty cool. Congratulations to them. Uh, This phrase originally comes from Daniel chapter 5. So let's set the scene. Some of you have been here for these Daniel stories. Others, I'd suggest you try to catch up. Not all the videos are out there, but the podcasts are there if you want to listen to those. The videos will eventually uh, catch up. If you want to volunteer to be my video person, let me know. So um, let's set the scene. The The events of the first half of the book of Daniel take place in a time period called the Babylonian Captivity. Uh, the Babylonian Empire had risen to prominence, great world empire. They conquered huge swath of territory, including the Promised Land. And they came into Jerusalem, conquered Jerusalem, and carried off many of the inhabitants. Daniel was a young man when this happened, and he was one of the Jewish survivors who was resettled in Babylon. Now, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been to be taken from a place that you're familiar with and then carried off to a foreign land and you have no you had you don't know the language you don't know anything and you're expected to make a life but daniel not only found a way to survive he found a way to thrive and very quickly god blessed him he was faithful and he rose to become one of the most trusted advisors of king nebuchadnezzar of babylon and we've spent most of the last four chapters dealing with some kind of drama connected with King Nebuchadnezzar. One thing we know about him, he is a drama king, and he's always doing something here. In chapter 1, we see it was Nebuchadnezzar's idea to resettle these people out of Jerusalem. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had this crazy dream, and it was about that. In chapter 3, he was so upset that people wouldn't bow down to his statue that he threw him in the fiery furnace. And in in chapter 4, it really comes to... A high point with Nebuchadnezzar, he has another dream, and he doesn't really heed the warning of the dream, and his mind is taken from him, and he becomes like an animal for seven years. Wild stuff. Now, in chapter 5, where's Nebuchadnezzar? He's dead. He's been gone a while. You see, there's a huge gap of time between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, and and normally, they don't come out and say that. They don't say, meanwhile... In the saga of Daniel, 50 years have passed. That's just not how the Bible is written. And, but maybe as many as 50 years have passed between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. Long, long time. Nebuchadnezzar has been dead for over 20 years at this point. So Daniel was maybe in his 20s last time we saw him. Maybe late 20s maybe early 30s at most, and when we see him again in chapter 5, he's much closer to 80. So he's, he's no longer this youthful guy. He's lived his whole, his whole life. 
What's he been doing all this time? What's he been doing for the last 50 or more years? Well, what do you expect Daniel to be doing? He's doing his job. He's being faithful. He's uh, serving the Lord. He's serving the king. He's, he's not doing anything that made it into the record of the scriptures. And we might say, well, gosh, wasn't he doing anything? Have you ever done anything that made it into the record of the word of God? Well, I mean, not this one, not, not, you know, not the Bible, but God sees and God knows. But he was just being faithful. See, in our culture, we put so much emphasis on things having to be flashy that you have to do something that is worthy of your Instagram story or your Snap story or all of that stuff that every day you have to be seen doing something really cool or amazing. We undervalue just solid faithfulness. I bet some of the people with the biggest faith that you know didn't do a lot of flashy things. They just love God and serve God every single day. So after a lifetime of civil service... Poor Daniel, he worked all that time in a corrupt government. And uh, he seems to have retired. That is the, it seems, it looks like he's retired at this point. But the events are going to bring him out of retirement. So Daniel is, how old did I say he was? Probably close to 80 at this point. And um, God wasn't done with him. Do you ever have days where you feel old? You just feel old. Um. My kids would say that I, there's a reason why I might feel old. It's because I'm so very old. Now, what cracks me up is when my middle school daughter, who's amazing in the back here working with the kids, says, I feel so old. You are 14 years old. You're 14. I, I have sneakers older than you. You are not old. But we feel old. I think all of us have the moments where we feel old old. I've had this allergy thing going lately and it's made me feel kind of old. And uh, just so you know, if you ever feel a little like you're getting on up in years, if you ever feel too old for this, or if you ever feel like maybe your best days are behind you, think about this with Daniel. Daniel was maybe 80 years old and God had only written a third of the book that he was going to write through Daniel's life. Two-thirds of the book of Daniel takes place after Daniel was 80 years old or very close to it. So think about that. You know, we have a few people here who's uh, getting close to 50. Some of the oldest people here are getting close to, to maybe 40. Um, <laughs> something like that. And um, you may feel like, uh, feel like, hey, man, I've done my thing. I've retired from this. I'm retired from all this stuff. Well, Daniel thought he was retired too. Daniel thought he had done his thing and he was, he was retired and he's going to get brought out of retirement and God is going to write eight more chapters in the book of Daniel. Eight of the 12 chapters of the book of Daniel happen after Daniel thought he was retired. So a lot has changed in the, the time between chapters 4 and chapter 5. As I mentioned, Nebuchadnezzar has died. He's been dead for over 20 years. His son-in-law, Nabonidus, is now the king. But Nabonidus is out fighting with the Medes and the Persians. Babylon has been under attack. While he's out fighting, his son, Belshazzar, has been appointed as the regent. That's how it often worked in the ancient world, that uh, the king might still be alive, but if the king was going off to war or something, or the king was somehow incapacitated, they would appoint their heir to the throne, and they would kind of share power. 
So Belshazzar was appointed as the, the regent. And we have some sirens in the background, so we always pause there. We always pray. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of praying for our town and the people here. So we are lifting up uh, the whoever's involved in this emergency, and we lift up the emergency responders that you would bless and protect them as well. We give them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Belshazzar is going to be referred to as the king in this passage, but remember, keep in mind that he is, yes, the king, but his father, Nabonidus, is also king. He's the high king. And uh, you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned here and called the father of Belshazzar. I want to clarify that before we go any further. By father, they mean ancestor, not the, the guy who, you know, your actual literal father. Kind of like the Jewish people would say Abraham is their father, right? And when, when Abraham isn't their literal father one generation above them, it's, he's many generations back. He's an ancestor. Belshazzar is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. So Belshazzar, that name sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Because we've heard of another very similar name, Belteshazzar, which was the Babylonian name given to Daniel. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, and this is Belshazzar. If you were going to make up a book like the Bible to try to trick someone, wouldn't you mix up the names a little bit? I mean, imagine that you say, well, I've written a story that I'm going to try to deceive people with, but two of the main characters in this part of the story, um, uh, you know, one of them is named uh, uh, Terry with uh, a Y, and one of them is named Terry with an I. And I'm not really going to take a lot of time to explain which one's which. So, I mean, you wouldn't do that. This rings of authenticity to me because these are descriptions of real events. See, there's a lot of weird coincidences in the world that if you saw them in a movie, you, would, you wouldn't believe them, right? You've seen stuff that if they made a movie of it, no one would believe it. Yeah, I think this is, this is just ringing of reality here. So if Nebuchadnezzar was a conqueror, his grandson Belshazzar is more of a frat boy, okay? Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy. Not for most of his life anyway. He was a pretty harsh dictator. But he was an effective ruler. He did rule. He, he was kind of good at his job. Belshazzar was more of like that spoiled third generation rich kid who didn't take anything seriously. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that. The daddy's money type of guy. you know, Or granddaddy's money. It was granddaddy's money at this point type of guy. And he did not take his responsibilities very seriously. So when, we, when the story opens, we see Belshazzar is throwing a party. He's partying. And everything about this party is a bad idea. Let's just read from the scriptures, Daniel 5, verses 1 through 4. <coughs> Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, grandfather, remember, Nebuchadnezzar had taken from from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords his wives and his concubines might drink from drink from them then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem and the king and his lords his wives and his concubines drank from them they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver bronze and iron wood and stone heavenly father please open up the word of God to us that we may understand it and receive it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So much of this party was out of keeping even with Babylonian uh, culture and morals. Uh, the Babylonians were not the good guys, but compared to a lot of other ancient cultures, they were, 
they were fairly civilized. Normally, uh, a, a celebration like this was a solemn religious festival. It was not a wild drinking party. And in that culture, it was not normal for the king to get wasted in front of everybody. And it was not normal for men and women to, to revel like this. It, it, this was just a bad idea. And let's just be honest, getting wasted is always a bad idea. Every single time in Water Con, Con is a bad idea. Um, of course, he makes it worse. He calls for the gold and silver cups taken from the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Let me explain what this is. It was common in those times when one nation conquered another, they would loot the temple of the God of the nation they conquered and take these religious articles back as trophies. So these would have been bowls and cups and platters that were used in the temple service when sacrifices were made. Some of the sacrifices in the temple used used cups and plates and bowls and things like that. They would pour wine into them and they it was it was just a, a lot of what we would look at as incredibly fancy dinnerware. And uh it was common for those to be taken as trophies. It was not normal for them to be used as a red solo cup at a <laughs> drinking party. That was not normal. It was a bad idea. And of course, uh, Belshazzar didn't even win these things. His grandpa won these trophies, okay? His, his grandfather was the conqueror. He was just a kid who wanted to claim credit for what somebody else had done. It would be like, like one of these, um, <laughs> like some young guy like walking through a parking lot and seeing a really cool car and taking a picture, you know, a selfie with the car, and then putting it on his social media and trying to make it look like it was his car. And then I've seen some of those of somebody like trying to take a picture with a car and the person who owns the car like comes out like, hey, whoa, because you get off of my car. You know, I actually work for that and you're just taking a picture. So that's kind of how Belshazzar was. He wanted to look like he was doing something, but he had no real accomplishments of his own. And of course, these weren't just any religious articles. These were from the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Very different than the religious articles that might have come from elsewhere because these were actually connected to a real true God. And it's one thing to take these pagan articles, but these were, these were the real deal. This was very sacrilegious, but it, the Lord was not going to put up with this. But the timing of it was also terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible time to throw a party. Belshazzar's father, the high king Nabonidus, had just been defeated by the Medes and Persians in battle. And at the very moment where they're about to have this party, Cyrus the Great is outside of the wall of Babylon, surrounded it with an army. Does that sound like a good time to throw a party? It's a time for an emergency meeting, not a kegger. It's terrible, terrible timing. Why in the world would Belshazzar distract himself with all this meaningless stuff instead of dealing with the problem that was right in front of him. And it was really going to be bad if he didn't. Why didn't he? Well, I think it's easier for all of us to do this. Do you ever, maybe I'm just talking to myself here, but does anyone else find that it's much easier to do anything but the thing you're supposed to be doing? There is no energy like that procrastination energy. The one thing you're supposed to do Suddenly, I have energy to do almost anything but that thing. It's like, man, I really need to wash the dishes. But, you know, I should probably organize my sock drawer. You know, it's just anything. 
anything but that thing. I don't know why that is. Somebody who's like a psych major could probably explain it. But we do have a tendency to put off dealing with the most important stuff and distract ourselves with things that aren't terribly important. Um, sometimes we put off going to the doctor when something's wrong. Now, none of the men have ever done that, right, gentlemen? We have. What's a doctor? <laughs> okay, thank you. None of us men ever put off going to the doctor at all. Um, you know, none of us have ever put off our responsibilities. None of us have ever let a basket of clean laundry sit around unfolded. Uh, when our kids were little, you know, you go through so many, so much clothes when you're little. It was the never-ending mountain of clean laundry that needed to be folded and put away. You know, our kids are older now, and you know, it's a lot easier. And and Katie's feeling a lot better. But you know, for me, it wasn't. <laughs> Uh, would anybody else confess to having to rewash the same load of laundry multiple times because you forgot that it was in the washing machine and it got stinky? So I see there's a little bit of honesty in this room. The rest of y'all must not know how to run a washing machine. <laughs> so, yeah, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to have to learn. The best thing you can do is never learn how. Um, yeah, I remember one time when I learned to use the washing machine, my mom was, was uh, sick at the time when I was young, and my dad said, son, it's time for you to learn to use a washing machine. Now, he might have been telling me that, so I would wash them. <laughs> hey, the clothes got washed. The clothes got washed. You know what I'm saying? Um, ignorance can be your best friend sometimes. I don't know how to do that. So, yeah, but... You know, we, we put off doing the things we should do, and it gets much more serious than that. We put off having difficult conversations that need to happen. We, we put off making the changes in our lives that we know needs to happen. We put off working through the emotional baggage in our past. We put off even acknowledging that it's there. It's like, I don't, yeah, I'm fine. I don't have any, anything going on. We put off facing the unforgiveness and hurt in our hearts. We distract ourselves with things that don't matter while there's an enemy at the gate. So yeah, maybe we're more like Belshazzar than we care to admit. And the longer we ignore dealing with stuff, does it generally go away or does it get worse? No, that tiny little soft spot on your tooth can turn into a problem for which you need a root canal if you ignore it long enough. Don't ask me how I know this. So something dramatic did happen to Belshazzar. In the middle of this party, a ghostly hand appears in the room. Like a, I don't even know. I, I wanted to find a picture or something. But I didn't find anything that did it justice. Imagine like a ghostly hand just appearing in the middle of this room. Bizarre. Floating in mid... I don't know if it was big or if it was like a normal size hand. Um, for me, any disembodied floating par uh, body part floating around, that's enough for me. You know, if it's like a pinky finger, that's, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. You got my attention right there. A ghostly hand appears. Now you're saying... Hold on, didn't Belshazzar have quite a lot to drink? Yes, he did, but he got sober real quick. Um, and everyone was seeing it, so it wasn't a hallucination that was uh, specific to Belshazzar. So this hand appears, and it floats over to a well-lit section of the wall, and it starts tracing letters on the walls. And the letters 
are soon words, and there's a series of words traced on the wall. This ghostly hand, we don't know how much longer it stayed around, if it kept continually tracing them, or if it just traced them and disappeared, or what, but it was so bizarre, and what what would you have thought if you had saw that? What what, did, what do you think Belshazzar thought? I mean, it, it really um, rocked his world. He called for his advisors, and he said, can anybody explain this to me? And if you'll explain this to me, I'll give you a royal robe, I'll give you a, a gold chain to wear around your neck, and I'll make you the third ruler of the kingdom. Why the third? Because he himself was the second. Remember, his father... Nabonidus is the high king and he's the regent and he could award the highest office he could award was third in command. So all the wise men come in and based on what we have seen them so far, do you think they're going to get it right this time? No, they're not. So for the third time in a row in the book of Daniel, these wise men don't, they don't have the answer. They don't have the answer. They can't explain it. Now, to be clear, the words were in a language they could understand. The words were in Aramaic, which was the language they spoke. The king could read the words. The wise men could read the words. They just didn't know what it meant. Imagine if I handed you a slip of paper, and on the slip of paper, it had four words, um, blue, blue, green, red. Would you know what that meant without any further explanation? No, you wouldn't. You'd be able to read the words, but it wouldn't make any sense to you. So this whole incident has caused a tremendous uproar. There's, there's, maybe, there's at least 1,000, maybe close to 2,000 people in this big banquet hall, and it's just a, it's wild and it's loud. And the Belshazzar's mother, the queen, hears the ruckus. This is uh, the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, and she comes in to see what's going on. And he says, Mama, ooh, there's writing on the wall. Can't make sense of it at all. Uh, that was not planned. That was spontaneous. Y'all got that. The evening service folks may not get that because I'll be tired by then. Yeah, he didn't know what was going on. I mean, and his mother said, well, that's pretty weird. Um, no one can figure it out. And he said, no, they can't figure it out. And she said, I remember a fellow who used to work for my father, your grand, you know, granddad, Nebuchadnezzar, and he was able to interpret visions. His name was Belteshazzar. And uh, also known as Daniel. If we could find him, maybe he could provide an answer. Of course, Daniel is retired at this point. Imagine. Now, we have a few people who are retired in the room. Imagine if they called you up at your old job and said, we need you to come in for today. What would you tell them, Ricky? (laughs) No, Ricky's a nice guy. I bet some of y'all could come up with some more colorful ways to express uh, your your pass uh, passing on that opportunity. So he gets called in, and Daniel now, who was of course a young man the last time we saw him, he's he is around eighty at this point. So uh, he thought he was retired, and and Belshazzar brings him in and said, "Are you the same Daniel that served my grandfather? If you can tell me anything, I've heard that you're full of the spirit of God and wisdom and power, and I've heard that you can interpret this, and if you can interpret it, I will give you a royal robe, a golden chain." and I will make you the third in command in the kingdom. And Daniel's like, you know what? Just keep your stuff because it won't mean anything tomorrow. But I'll tell you what's going on. <clears throat> Let's read a little bit from the scriptures. Uh, Daniel 5, 18 through 21. 
O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his earthly throne, and they took his glory from him, that he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints, appoints over it whomever he chooses. So what, what a wild incident. If you missed that, you need to go back and catch that. That one's not on YouTube. We had some, some technical issues. but the uh, Or if you just want my notes, holler at me. Just let me know and I'll send you my notes on that. Nebuchadnezzar, this great high king, the greatest king who had lived on earth to that point, lost his mind and became like an animal. So now Daniel lays out the difficult truth to Belshazzar. He said, Belshazzar, look, you've knew, knew the story of what happened to your grandfather. You knew all of this. You, you knew what happened to him because of his pride, and yet you have not humbled yourself. You don't have as much to be proud of as Nebuchadnezzar did, yet you have exalted yourself even more. You've even dared to use the vessels from the temple of the true God to toast uh, to the false idols, what were you thinking? You don't even bother to acknowledge the very God who holds your breath in his hands. And you want to know the meaning of the writing of the wall? I'll tell you. If you'll put those words up, please. The inscription was, and I'm not going, I do not know what ancient Aramaic sound like, so I'm just going to pronounce it like I'm from Silvatus or something because... If the shoe fits, we didn't. They don't have shoes in Silvatus, do they? Dad? Okay, never mind. Never mind. I'm just kidding. Meanie, meanie, tekel, you farson. Meanie, meanie, tekel, you farson. What does that mean? Meanie, meanie, you. It sounds weird. It's it's Aramaic. Well, these are common Aramaic words. They literally mean numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Meaning, meaning, tickle you, Farson? Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. The king could read these words. His nobles could read the words. The, the, uh, all the wise men could read the words. And surely they were reading them over and over again. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. But they didn't know what they meant. What would you think? We wouldn't know. Daniel explained. He said, uh, meaning, numbered. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and time is up. And that was repeated twice for emphasis. Time was not only up, it was up today. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and you do not measure up. And then in his interpretation, he says Perez. Why Perez instead of Eupharson? Because a Perez is the singular form of Eupharson, which is a plural term. Perez divided your kingdom shall be divided between the medes and the persians so we use this phrase in english the writing is on the wall as a way of saying the end of something is near the end of the babylonian empire the greatest empire on earth to that point had come 
Archaeologists believe they have found bits of this wall, and on it was, and they didn't find any, uh, any much of it. They think they found little pieces, and on it was inscribed some of the exploits of the Babylonian Empire. Right over everything Babylon had thought they'd accomplished, the hand of God writes judgment. And that just ought to remind us that no matter what a great empire may accomplish or what a country may think it has accomplished, God's kingdom is triumphant over everything else. So Belshazzar, he hears all this. He doesn't know, he doesn't really know what to do. He keeps his promise. He gives Daniel a robe. He gives Daniel a gold chain. He makes him third ruler in the kingdom. Uh, how would you like to be made the, the CFO of a company that was going bankrupt tomorrow? I mean, it's pretty meaningless. If anything, it was going to be trouble. Belshazzar uh, didn't know what was going to happen, but the Babylonian Empire fell that very night. That night, the Babylonian Empire fell, and Belshazzar was killed. How did that happen? Well, Belshazzar was pretty confident that the city would not fall because it had these giant walls around it, very impressive walls of the city of Babylon, and the Euphrates River ran right through it under the wall, so they always had the river there for resources. They always had some water. Maybe not the best water, but there was always water. They had whatever resources the river could provide. Maybe they could do some farming within the city. So it was hard to besiege Babylon because they had this river and they had these walls. So how did Cyrus the Great do it? Daniel didn't write it down. He was probably too busy not dying uh, to take some good notes at this point because it, things got crazy right after this. According to the Greek historian Herodotus, Cyrus the Great consulted his military engineers and he set his army to digging trenches, big, big trenches all around the valley there, trenches. Belshazzar had to have seen this happening. It took months. Belshazzar watched them, either did not know what they were doing or did not care enough to do anything about it. He just, he was just a partying i guess he didn't deal with what needed to be dealt with so eventually the digging stops and that night when the sun goes down under the cover of darkness king nebuchadnezzar has his troops divert the euphrates river into these trenches and the water level of the euphrates lowers down and he marches his army through the riverbed under the wall and into the city and Babylon fell almost without a fight. The very night the writing appeared on the wall, the Babylonian Empire fell and Belshazzar was killed. A new empire took its place, the one that had been predicted by Daniel, a, a uh, partnership of the Medes and the Persians. Early on, it was the Medes who were dominant. Later on, it was just going to be known as the Persian Empire. Darius the Mede received the rulership of Babylon, while Cyrus the Great ruled over some of the other territories. That was about 539 B.C. for anybody who's taken those kind of notes. So this is the end of Babylon, but not the end of the plans of God, and not the end of Daniel. We're going to see Daniel next week in the most famous episode of Daniel, the one you've been waiting for, the one where he doesn't get eaten by lions. So uh, did I spoil that? You've heard that. You've heard that before. Spoiler alert. Maybe we'll. I, I think it'll be worth your time to come hear that. You know, there's some things in there. You think you know these Bible stories, and then you read them again, like, whoa, I missed that. You know. So 
Babylon is done, but Babylon had served its purpose. Babylon was used by God to remove his people from the promised land and and uh, brought them to Babylon. They were purified. They went to a land full of idols to finally let go of idolatry. After this, God's people, Israel, would not again fall into idolatry. Remember, he's, God was going to raise up the Persians next, and the Persians were going to allow them to return to the promised land and give them permission and funding to rebuild the temple. God's got a plan for all of this. Were the Babylonians good guys? No. Were the Persians good guys? No. The Greeks that came after them weren't good guys, and nor was Rome that came after them. But God used them all for his glory and to get the message of Jesus down to us. And we'll learn more about this as time goes by. So what do we make of the story of Belshazzar? What, what can we learn from this guy? He knew all about the pride and the sin of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, but he did not seem to learn from it. He, if anything, he was worse. He didn't humble himself. He, and they say, what do they, what do they say? Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. I've heard people say, learn from your mistakes. You should learn from your mistakes. But you know what's even better than learning from your mistakes? Learning from somebody else's mistakes. I mean, when humans were figuring out what berries were good to eat, that's when you get your, you know, your brother to say, hey, could, <laughs> hey, hey, Charlie, come here. Try this berry. Is this, can we eat it? I don't know. We're about to find out. Eat this berry real quick. Oh, wait, Charlie, Charlie dead. We don't eat them berries, you know. <laughs> Learn from someone else's mistake. Um, don't, put, don't put people up to stuff. Please don't put people up to stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is learning from personal experience is painful. Learning from somebody else's mistakes is a much better idea. Funny thing about humans, we rarely invent any new stupid. We just keep finding new ways to remix the old stupid. And uh, we just find that, do these things that's essentially the same stupid. We just put it in a little different time and setting. And, and uh, it's so much better to learn from the mistakes of others. We need to break some destructive cycles. Now, you may have had someone tell you that people can't change. And if people are trying to change themselves, that's probably true. But that doesn't mean people can't change because God changes people. You may have heard somebody say, well, that's just how our family is. Our family has a struggle with this. You know, there's alcohol problems all back through our family. That's just how we are. In our family, we got anger problems. You know, my daddy had anger problems. My granddad had anger problems. Don't know my great granddad, but I bet he had anger problems too. You know, on up and through the, you see these cycles and say, that's just how it is. Just how it is. All those people over there, you know. All my people have been like that. But it doesn't. That might be true, though. That might be true. That might be how things have been. But it doesn't have to be how things continue to be. We serve a God who is able to break every cycle, every chain, every generational curse there is. We serve a chain breaker. However you have been your whole life, it does not have to continue to be that way. Maybe everybody else in your family had this problem. It doesn't have to be that way for you. How? Are you going to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and read all of the self-help books and we're going to fix every problem on our own? No. 
Do what you can, but you better get a hold of God with both hands and beg for his help and his favor. I got things in my life I want to get broke free from, and I can't break free myself. It's got to be Almighty God. Belshazzar is the example of what not to do. There's better examples of in the, of the Bible of people who, who changed, like, like Simon Peter, who changed so much. You know, Jesus is the one who can break us free from these things. And I just want to close us in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we believe that Jesus is your Son who's, who you sent to earth to live a perfect sinless life and to give his life for hours. And he was raised again on the third day. And because of his defeat of death, he's able to defeat the death in us, not only to get us into heaven someday, but for real and true lasting change to happen in our hearts. God, we want to give you now the destructive patterns in our lives that may have been generational. God, we give them to you and we ask for change. We ask for freedom. God, I beg right now for somebody listening to this, whether here live or or in recorded form, I beg that you will liberate them from whatever addiction holds them. I pray, I beg that you will liberate them from whatever sin has a hold of them. God, I pray for myself that you'd set me free from the things that hold me down and hold me back. God, do it for your glory. May you be glorified in us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the example of Daniel, who was steadfast through so much. And may we learn more from his life and be inspired to hold on to you, even when the rest of the world seems to have gone crazy. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and read ahead for next week. Lord willing, it'll be Daniel chapter 6. And uh, I think you'll find some stuff you didn't know. So I'm going to leave you with some journey for your journey. And we'll see you next time.